discussing in particular this morning most recent concerns for the nation of Israel. And I want to just begin by stating something here. We, we often refer to Israel as being God's chosen people. Now that's true. He chose Abraham to be the father of a nation. Abraham was, he was a Gentile before he was a Jew, right? So uh, it was God's purpose and plan to use Israel to bless the other nations. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. We saw that last night, or last week. So yes, Israel is God's chosen nation, but that, that statement, that, that terminology confuses a lot of people. A chosen nation. But when we say they're his chosen people, I think it sometimes confuses people. Because the church is God's chosen people too. And Jewish people that are part of the church in this dispensation, I guess they got dual citizenship in a sense, right? Uh, the promises of the Abrahamic covenant were to the nation. The nation, as we're going to see, for all practical purposes, came to an end in AD 70. Came back as a nation in 1948. And the promises made to that nation, God's going to bring to fulfillment in the millennium and beyond through only believing Jewish people but there will be a, a vast population of Gentile believers in that kingdom as well who will also be blessed as a result of God's promises to Israel, which included the blessing of the Gentiles. So uh, I can see things, it's good for us to kind of have that, because sometimes people hear the term, well, they're God's chosen people, like, well, we're, you know, we're nothing. That's not true. God so loved the world died for all of us. So let's get some historical perspective, and I'm going to fly through this because I'm guessing that you like to study history pretty much about the same level as most people like to study history, which is not. <laughs> but history is important, and particularly uh, so to our present discussion. We've given you the biblical background. It was last week, the Abrahamic Covenant, uh, the roots of the conflict between the Arabs and, the, and Israel, now we, go, we need to kind of pick up and bring it to modern times. So, okay. Maybe the battery's dead. We'll do it this way. We'll try reloading this thing. Let's see how it happens. approximately 4,000 years ago. That's an important figure to keep in mind. The nation of Israel took possession of land in 1406 BC after their exodus from Egypt. They actually didn't possess the land until then. Abraham lived there, they resided there, and so on. Uh, they weren't a nation at that point. Number three, the Assyrians took the northern tribes of Israel captive in 722 BC and they never returned. Ten tribes referred to as the lost tribes. The Assyrians would take all the important people out of a nation they conquered and move them elsewhere so they would intermarry with other nations and they would leave a representative number where they you know, were at, their homeland, and then they would move other people in so they would intermarry and they destroyed nationalities that way. So there wouldn't be, you know, revolt centering around 
you know, we're the people should be here and all that. Now, that doesn't mean they're lost to God, uh, obviously, but they've not been a part of what's going on in Israel. They've lost their Jewish heritage. They only, you know, partly uh, Jewish. They still exist. And in, in time, I think God's going to restore a lot of that in the prophetic future. The Babylonians took Judah captive in 586 BC, but they did return 70 years later under Nehemiah and uh, Ezra, Zerubbabel, and so forth. And so they, they essentially became a nation again in, when they returned 70 years after the captivity. But they, they weren't exactly self-governing. Returning to the land of Israel, Judah existed as a vassal state under the, under the domination of Persia to begin with. This is when Nehemiah and Ezra and all came back. They had to pay tribute to Persia. They were the empire that kind of was the umbrella over them. And then Greece came along, Alexander the Great. And then after he died, he broke up into uh, four four uh, segments under his four generals, and that domination uh, continued down to the time when Rome became the uh, predominant power, the empire, and even the times of Jesus, they, Israel was there, and they were still worshiping in the temple, uh, they had a national government and all the rest, but they were still dominated by the Romans. A vassal state means that they are under the domination and protection militarily, they pay tribute, and, and they don't have entire freedom. They lost that national identity in AD 70, which is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, in the sense of looking forward. Of course, we know what happened in AD 70, a rebellion against, tried to throw off all the Roman uh, rule, and uh, I can't remember who the emperor was, but General Titus came in with the Roman legions and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, uh, chased the remaining uh, rebels to Masada, where they traditionally all committed suicide rather than fall to the, in the hands of the Romans. After that, Rome just ruled with, a, with, a, with an iron hand, and they kind of lost that aspect of self-government government underneath of Rome. Now here's, here's where things get interesting for present day. Afterwards, the Roman Emperor Hadrian, about 135 AD, renamed Judea and Galilee, and he incorporated them under the new name of Syria, Palestina. Syria is a name that was used over the Galilean segments and then beyond the, the confines of Israel as well. And Judea became Palestine. Now, this happened after another revolt around 135 was put down by the Romans. Because there were, the Jews weren't operating nationally, but there, there was a lot of Jews still living in the land, and they kind of got together. There was another revolt. The Romans crushed that. And then Emperor Hadrian said, look, we're going to just Romanize everything. We're going to eradicate all, all aspects of Judaism. And uh, they, they built a pagan temple where the Jewish temple was, they forbid Jewish worship, all the rest. And so the final eradication, which began here, took place in 135, and Judea was renamed Palestine. Now, this is incredible, but Palestine, number eight, Palestine was the name the Greek writers gave to the land of the ancient Philistines. Hmm the ancient enemy of Israel. Goliath, the Philistines, uh, go back to that day, the days of David. I, I haven't really found this as a historical fact, but some speculate that Hadrian decided he was gonna rename the place after their arch enemies. There's another slap in their face, so to speak. Which button will work? 
Now, that was AD 135. Palestine is just, the Roman Emperor is just, you're Palestine. You're not Judean. You're not Jewish anymore. You're a Roman province, period. That was 135 AD. Mohammed died in 632 AD, about 500 years later. He didn't live a long life, like about 30, 40 years, something like that. I can't remember exactly. But Islam had become a functioning religion by the time Muhammad died, 500 years after they became Palestine, but more importantly, 2,000 years after Israel possessed the land back in the 1400s BC. Who was there first? Okay. <laughs> if you want to play that game, you see, from the present day, political and historical background people have, the Palestinians have been there for years. Now the Jews come back and, you know, and they took away their land. And you better go back a little further in history. We'll get your facts straight on that. After the Roman Empire collapsed, Palestine was controlled by various Arab Islamic empires, the last being the Ottoman Empire. And I even throw in the Crusaders, and, 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 and so they were back and forth and all, but mainly for all those hundreds of years, Arab Islamic empires ruled over Palestine. The last was the Ottoman Empire. That is an Islamic empire based in Turkey. And they ruled for a long time. And they became an ally of Germany in World War I. So when Germany was defeated in World War I, they lost, you know, all their lands and everything. And that, at that point, Palestine was placed under British control uh, in 1920, later approved by the League of Nations in 1922. This is just all what the Allies imposed upon them. This placing it under British control was called the British Mandate. There were other countries, other allied countries got other mandates, but the British Mandate, what they were in control of, included Palestine. It expired in 1948 in May. And when that happened, Israel once again became a nation for the first time in over 1,800 years. stop there with the historical, the historical aspect. There's been obviously wars and back and forth. I mean, as soon as Israel became a nation in 1948, the Arabs invaded. And they were just this little group of Jewish people that, had, I mean, there were several thousand obviously, but compared to the Arabs, this little small group, and they successfully defended themselves. That's an absolute miracle that that could have happened. And it's been the same every year. I mean, every war, I should say. They won, they won, they won. And there's nine million people living in Israel. You're just dwarfed by the millions of Arabs around them that keeps attacking. So let's talk about the prophetic significance. Now turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. We're going to jump from 1948 to the future, which is, we don't know when, the prophetic future, Ezekiel 38 to 39. And what we learn basically from Ezekiel 38 and 39 is that the conflict between Israel and the Arabs is never going to end until Jesus ends it when he comes back. It's always going to be there. Notice in uh, verse 8 of Ezekiel 38. After many days you will be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations. 
to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. But its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. Now, that could not have been... What we're going to read about in Ezekiel, this, this invasion, could not have taken place prior to 1948. And we know that now. Obviously, back then, I mean, God's, you know, the return of Jesus is, is imminent. Uh, God could have known, I mean, nobody knew when and if Israel was going to become a nation. But just looking at it historically, that's the case. Uh, but notice at the beginning, verse 8, after many days you will be summoned in the latter years, in times. You go down to verse 16, and it says, and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land. The latter days, the last days, prophetic future. I'm mean, speaking to a character called God. We'll get to heaven in just a second. This in Ezekiel 38 describes a coming invasion of Israel by a northern, a northern confederacy, which will include several Arab nations. The leader of this confederacy we find beginning in verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog. The Gog seems to be the king, the uh, dictator, whatever it may be in those days. The, the, the man in charge of the country, the one with the most slaves, it's called Gog, and he is over a land called Magog. And he's far, further described as the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesying is there. Now, Magog has been identified by Bible scholars, prophetic experts, for years and years and years. I checked a book written by Jane White Pentecost back, I don't know, I had it in seminary in the 1980s, 1970s, I guess it was, and it was already in print then, and uh, when he identified all this, and he goes back to Josephus and other historians, what do these names in our Bible, in the Hebrew, represent in those days, and they can be directly connected. I'm not going to try to explain all that to you because uh, I probably do an extremely poor job. But we don't want to get bogged down there. Magog, specifically by Josephus, identifies the people living in what is now the territory of Russia. <clears throat> Interestingly, Gog the leader, Magog the entire expanse of their uh, whatever it is, country or empire, and then it mentions Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and those places have been identified as well as being far west in Russia and, and stretching down into northern Asia. Uh, they're just different areas or sections of Russia. Moving to verse 5. He mentions, he mentions five more countries that will be aligned with Russia. Russia will be the, the perpetrator, the instigator, the, the head of all this invasion. Now some nations are mentioned as being aligned with Russia. The first one is Persia. Persia is Iran. Persia, the ancient Persia occupied the land where Iran is today. They're Persian. Interestingly, Iran, going back to the Shah, was an ally of the United States until when? 1979, Islamic Revolution. Now they are not at all an ally of the United States. I think that's interesting prophetically. Ethiopia is the next one. Ethiopia is identified with an area of land south of Egypt, north eastern Africa, basically where modern day Ethiopia 
And then in verse 5, we also have this thing put. And you see it translated put in the New American Standard. Some translations translate it Libya. But there is no certainty that it's in where modern day Libya is. It's probably more uh, in another place, and we'll get to that in a minute. And then Gomer in verse 6 has been identified and is known to be the area of Germany. And finally, Beth Tagarma is ancient Turkey. Or that ancient land was, is now Turkey. Another member of NATO, an ally of the United States, who is just backing away from NATO, the United States, and, and is just moving back away toward whole uh, group of Arab Islamic nations. So these are things you can see present day that's starting to line things up with the future prophecy. <clears throat> Who is Cush? I'm sorry, what? Who is Cush? Like what, what area? Cush? Cush. Yeah. Uh, Would that be the same as, e well, that <coughs> be some, some translations might use Cush. Yeah, my notes said it was Ethiopia. Uh, Mine says Persia, Kush, and Push. What translation do you read? Uh, New International. Kush was the ancient <coughs> land, like in the, the upper Nile, beneath, uh, at the head of the Nile, right below where, you know, ancient Egypt as we know it. Kush occupied that land. Okay. So I don't know. I think that might that, that probably is modern Ethiopia. I don't know. Uh, Sudan. Sudan is in there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly if it's confines of modern day Ethiopia. But yeah, the Kushite Empire kind of preceded the Egyptian empires. And uh, you'll find you'll find these variations in the English. <coughs> So this is located on the map. We know where Germany is, we know where Russia is. Now the reason they're in green is because they're not Islamic. But the ones in blue are Islamic, Arabic. Turkey is almost 90 plus percent Islamic. Iran, 98 percent Islamic. Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Islamic, Libya. By the way, so just, I got curious, and I checked the percentage of the Russian population that is Islamic today. It's about 11%. That comes out to between 14 and 15 million people in Russia that are Islamic. You know what the population of Israel is? Less than that, 9 million. There is, there is more <coughs> Islamic people in Russia than there are Jews or Arabs or anybody else, total population of Israel. By the way, I just put that here because it's so small. <laughs> I couldn't find a star David. But. Okay, now we're going to talk about Libya for a minute. Some people think that Libya is the wrong modern day nation, that it should be a nation over here that was south, southeast of Iran or Persia, called Put. And that is why the New American Standard evidently translates it that way. So if we take this one out, it looks more like this. But it, I mean, it could be, there's no way to be certain about all this. Just telling you what, what I found. Now, Look where put is at. They're taking away the rest. It's going to give you a bigger, you know, a smaller area of the map, bigger, what do you call that? Zoomed in. I zoomed in, okay. <laughs> and put, here's Iran, puts down here. What do you find? Yemen. An Islamic group. Uh, the Houthi rebels took over Yemen. Took over Yemen a few years ago. They are aligned with Yassin, Iran. They don't get along with Saudi Arabia. 
But keep that in mind. Let's go back to our prophetic implications. The invasion that going to come, as is outlined in Ezekiel 38, will occur at a time called the latter years, the latter days. I've already got ahead of myself and mentioned that, so let's move, go to number four. The invasion will come at a time when Israel is dwelling securely in the land. So let's go back to verse 11 if you've got your Bibles open. The prophet speaking as if he's speaking to God. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. Well, an unwalled village, from an ancient perspective, is you don't need walls, right? Or else you're going to build them for defensive purposes. Go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest. This is what God is planning. They're, they're at peace. They're at rest. And live securely, all of them. Living without walls. Having no bars or gates. I'm going to go over to verse 14. Again, Ezekiel says, Therefore prophecy, son of man, and say to God, or the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, the son of man, say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? And then he goes on to talk about the invasion. Prophetically, the only time I know of that we can be sure of that that will be the case is during the first half of the tribulation. The Antichrist will confirm that covenant with many, Daniel, prophecy of the 70 years. He'll, he'll confirm that last 70 years with Israel. He'll make a covenant with them. The Antichrist and uh, the Ten Nation Confederacy at the beginning will guarantee the peace and safety of Israel. All the persecution and war against Israel in the second half of the tribulation is the campaign leading up to Armageddon. Let's look at, take a look at our chart. Oh, I think my pointer may be working. I'm not using it. I think it wasn't working. It is working. So, here's the rapture of the church. The first three and a half years, the second three and a half years. There are two views as to when this battle in Ezekiel 38 will take place. Among dispensationalists, among pre-tribulational, pre-millennial groups of people. Some think it will happen prior to the rapture. Uh, I'm not saying it can't. I'm just saying it would have to be a time when they're dwelling in the land safely. Uh, we don't see that today. So, I mean, could it happen? And then they, could they go back into conflict again? I mean, anything like that's possible. But I think the most probable thing is that it doesn't happen prior to the rapture, but after, when we enter into this first three and a half years, when the Antichrist and, uh, you know, all the nations supporting him guarantee the peace and the safety of Israel. The Antichrist is a hero at that point. He solved the Arab-Israeli problem. He's brought peace through power, political alignment. By the way, the rider on the first horse Revelation chapter 6, he's on a horse with a bow, doesn't say a word about Arabs. He conquers peaceably at that early stage. That's the Antichrist. So I think this is the most probable time. Russia, Iran, Turkey, Germany, the others, see an unprotected land. They're not militarily engaged. They're safe. And if you read carefully of Ezekiel, uh, they come for spoil. I think that's, they, they come to take the resources. They see Israel as an easy target at this point. 
And no doubt that's Russia, maybe Germany. By the way, we don't know how Germany fits all back into this. But uh, more and more, all the nations of the world have a, a higher and higher percentage of Islamic population. I said it was about 11% in Russia. It's about 5% in America. And you take 5% of America's population and compare it to 10 or 11% of, of Russia's population, there's more Islamic people in America than there is in Russia. And Germany, I think it's 5% or so. The, the, the Islamic people have spread out through the whole world. So, it, Russia is probably looking at financial gain, resources, whatever. But they could be overly influenced by that 10% Islamic people that, that's in, within the confines of their country, too. The other Islamic countries, Iran, Turkey, uh, Ethiopia, so they're probably more motivated, probably not, not that, it's probably not that they were not at all motivated by uh, the resources and the, the profit of the whole thing, but no doubt their motivation goes back to the historical hatred of Israel by the Arabs. I've read this, and, and, and I think it makes sense. If, if this invasion occurs here, it's going to be put down by God, not the Antichrist. If you read Ezekiel 38 carefully, I don't know if we have time to really get into it. The northern, northern invaders are all wiped out. Look what God does to them. Uh, I'm not seeing the verse. Okay, let's go down to uh, verse 20. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, all the people, things that people on earth, and so on, and all the people will shake at my presence. The mountains will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse. Every wall will fail. Every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains declares the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood I will enter into judgment. The God's going to bring this about. He mentions a torrential rain of hailstones in verse 22 and fire and brimstone. Now whether God does this directly or, or, or some other way, it, God is the one who does it. He wipes out the northern invaders. But now, probably, the Antichrist has, I think it's time for me to take a little bit more control of Israel. I don't want this happening again. He moves in, and then it all, it all dovetails with everything Satan's doing. He comes in, he declares himself to be God, he sets up himself in the temple of God, uh, and he begins to persecute Jewish believers, and they're chased out to the hiding place in the, in the wilderness, and they're persecuted for that last three and a half. And he becomes, a, he becomes the power and, and, and the presence militarily for the first time in Israel. That leads then to the whole campaign leading up to Armageddon, which will involve the king of the east, the king of the south, and then that whole last battle. Battle of Armageddon. Some interpreters think this and this are all one and the same, and this should even be over here. That's another interpretation. I'm going to run into several of these. All right. Prophetic implications continue. The invasion will occur at a time called the latter days. The invasion will come at a time when Israel is dwelling securely in the land. Prophetically, this fits the first half, and then the invaders will be destroyed. By convulsions of nature, it seems, is not the description, but it could be more than that. That's what we just looked at. Now let's move on to the seventh prophetic implications. The prophetic significance of current events evolves around Iran more than anybody else right now. So I'm coming, uh, we're coming up time-wise now to the whole Hamas invasion the day in which we live, this present moment. 
The prophetic significance that I think is the greatest here is Iran's at the center of all that's going on. And Iran, in the end times, will be right there with Russia when this northern invasion comes. Iran is providing military support for Hamas in Gaza. Iran has a religious and military connection with Hezbollah in Lebanon. Now, Iran, Shia Muslim, Hamas, Sunni Muslim. Most Muslims are Sunni, 90% or more. The militant Iranian Shia Muslims. This split, kind of into two denominations, goes back to the death of Muhammad in 632 AD, involving who was the rightful you know, leader, the next leader, and they kind of had a split. <coughs> they don't get along. This is why Iran and Iraq had a war a number of years ago, partly because of two different factions of Islam. But now Iran is getting along even with Sunnis. Iraqi, Sunni, Iran, Shia. That war occurred before we got into it over there in the early 90s. Hamas came out of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. They're Sunnis. But now Iran is giving them military support. Why? Because they have a common enemy, Israel. With Hezbollah, though, Hezbollah is like Iran. They are Shia, so they have a religious and a military connection. The Houthi rebels in Yemen also are Shia. They have a religious and military connection as well. And interesting enough, Iran is even providing military support for Russia in the Ukraine. The Iranian drones that are being used, and who knows what else. We've all read about that. Iran's got their hands everywhere. Eventually, Russia, it's, it seems incredible that Russia could be much of an international power, considering the difficulty they have experienced trying to defeat the Ukraine, but remember, they are a nuclear power. So eventually, they'll call the shots, but they're right there with Iran. Now let's put this on the map. Here's Iran. They have a direct connection to Hezbollah and the Houthi rebels. And then Hezbollah and the Houthi rebels, they all have that Shia Muslim connection, as well as a military uh, connection, uh, terroristic uh, philosophy, the whole jihad, and all the rest. But they also have a connection with Hamas, Sunnis, and they also have a military connection with Russia up here to Ukraine. But right now, everything that Iran is doing, by the way, the Houthi, this is the group that sent the drones to, fat, to attack the U.S. ship just a, a week or so ago. The U.S. ship was up here in the Red Sea, and they sent the drones, and the U.S. ship kept shooting the drones down. Never, they never inflicted any damage. I did think they did do some damage on uh, some merchant ships, but not the, not the destroyer. I can't remember the name of the destroyer, but... We had a destroyer here who was attacked by, why? Well, look at the connections, why? Their, their stated purpose was, we're going to not let any commerce go through here that has anything to do with helping Israel. Just looking at that, says, here's a flashing light. Here, here's Here's a, a billboard alongside the road, you know. Iran, Iran, Iran. Now, does that mean the rapture is going to occur tomorrow? We don't know. Is it going to occur a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now? I don't know. That's God's business. And a lot of things can, that looks like it might be lining up prophetically, can look so good and then it can go the other way and come back. Russia, for example. All this about Russia and the Northern Invasion was talked about by Bible prophecy scholars and back before <coughs> Ronald Reagan and then the collapse of the Soviet Union 
And I remember back at that time thinking, wow, Russia's supposed to be the one that's instigating this final, this, this big invasion prophetically, and Russia's just kind of been but carry it forward. They still have their nuclear bombs, their missiles, and all the rest. And then arises Putin, who's connected back to USSR, just now called Russia. It had nothing really changed. But things like that happen, and current events sometimes make you wonder, well, you know, we can't pinpoint dates and times and moments, or even years. But I think it's reasonable to say, more than any other time in history, we can see happening before our eyes something that is described in the Bible, going back to Ezekiel. So that really, that does produce a lot of excitement. Now there's a lot of people that like to get on the internet and they get all their theories and their ideas and, and be careful getting zeroed in on one person's opinion of everything. Try to stay with, this is what we know. There's a lot of people, it's just an exciting subject and, and sometimes I wonder if certain people get on the internet and they want to teach things that, you know, just get them more subscribers, you know, <coughs> it's exciting. So just be careful of that. But we do know that's an exciting thing to see unfolding. You may not know the answer, but do we know what the uh, which faction of Muslims are in Turkey? Are they Sunni or, or? They're pretty much Sunni, I think. I'm, I'm just going to remember. I could be wrong. But this is interesting to me how the Sunni and the, and the Shia are coming together when it comes to Israel right there. You know what I'm saying? They don't put their religious religion aside when it comes to Israel. And Turkey is in this group. It's going to come with Russia. Turkey, Germany, Russia. And, and Israel's going to be surrounded. Again, remember, there are more Islamic people in Russia today than there is the entire population of Israel. That's how absolutely this this can possibly you know all snowball. Whether that's the case or not, we don't know. But we do know that Israel's this little speck of nine billion people and this little strip of land that, by all human understanding, shouldn't be there. Even if they became a nation in 1948. Nobody would have guessed they would have endured all they've endured in their children. God, when he brought Israel back in 1948, that's another big flashing billboard. It's now just coming to, a, to another step closer. Okay. Right, I think that's all I got. Uh, but I want, to, I want to leave some time for a little discussion. And we got a little bit of time. So you, you know uh, something that... Maybe I've missed, you need to throw into this, or you have a question or whatever, I think that's all. So, does America get brought into the hate because of our Judeo-Christian leanings, background, our, our friendship with Israel, is that part of this? Our Judeo-Christian Christian heritage uh, certainly played into all of our support. England was in favor of giving the land to the Jewish people. They recognized it, going clear back in the end of World War I, it was recognized by Britain and America and a lot of other nations that it was Israel's land. But today, it's not seen that way by very many people. And unfortunately, America is now pressuring Israel, back off, back off, don't go too far. So, religiously, I mean, among, among Christians, there's a lot of Christians who are anti-Semitic because they don't 
A lot of people just look at the fact Palestine from 135 to 1948. But comes in and takes over. That isn't fair. But they don't understand Israel was there since. And another thing they don't understand is the Abrahamic covenant and the promises to Israel. Amillennialism and the whole theological thing that's permeated the church has equated what? The church with Israel. So Israel as a nation would just and people that, that want to even people that want to be on the right side and defend the the innocent. Don't we have no any better side with that? I think what I'm saying too is I, I see where you're saying that this uh, big war from the north will come probably in that first or this you know right at the end of the first three years of the tribulation. But it's like you see the world stage setting for it. Even and, and none of the no country will come to Israel's defense at that time. No country. And it's hard right now to think of us not going to their defense. But yet, even politically, you see that happening. Um, you know, though, you know, our president is initially standing up for Israel. He's backing down at the same time. And I think that. You know, when you look at like even things like the around the the whole when we got rid of our whatever they call that with Iran, and then Biden reinstated it, so they've become so rich now, able to do the things they're doing, and, and we see all of. I think you can see it happening. It may not happen before or after the tribulation. I mean, before or after the rapture. <coughs> it's obvious. To me, that the world is setting the stage. I, I don't see how anyone can not see how it's setting the stage. I mean, I just see it clearly. Although you say we don't know the time. But being able to see it depends on what you understand. True, because like I, I have a nephew every day who talks and about a this. A lot of these people are just fed right. He has no faith. He, he doesn't believe in God, so he doesn't believe any of this. Right. You know, Jay, looking at your map there, you look at the mass the. the massive land mass of the Islamic world and they want to chop up Israel. <laughs> it's, it, 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 from the, that perspective it is it's, it's, it's just crazy. And one thing your question evokes is what about the United States? It's not there. Now I know there's some Bible teachers who do a lot of mental theological <laughs> gymnastics to try to find it there's just nothing there in Scripture. So what does that mean? Well, it could well mean that the United States is aligned with the Antichrist and that ten-nation confederacy that guarantees the peace of Israel. And that's why they're not here. Not a good place for, for us to be, but it might be that. Others have speculated the rapture will remove so many Christians from America and will become you know, it's a third world power. Well, we might become a third world power for a lot of reasons. So this is primarily a Muslim Judeo-Israel-Arab conflict. But the Arabs have effectively all become Muslims, so it's fair to say it. Islamic Israel conflict. The conflict was there before Islam. I understand that, but you can't disregard Then in Revelation 16, 
talks about the Euphrates River being dried up as one of the uh, one of the trumpets or I'm not sure which one, one of the judgments. The Euphrates River is dried up, which is one natural barrier. This is dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Well, that would include probably China, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, you know. And that's a 200 million man army noted in the book of Revelation. So China isn't particularly mentioned as a nation, but you can't help but believe they're, I mean, they're the major power in the east. So if we're, if America's aligned with the Antichrist, it's going to be, they're going to be coming to that battle of Armageddon, it's going to be that kind of Specifically made, but yeah, by the time it's all over, you've got Russia, you've got China, you've got all of the Asian countries, you've got the European countries under the Antichrist, and you've got African countries, and the whole world's going to be. By the way, I didn't mention this, but it says in Ezekiel, one of the verses in there, and all of you, Russia, Iran, and so on, but it says, and the many other nations with faith, those are not many. That's also mentioned. Uh, there's even more. Going back to what you're stating, you're right. It's going to be an Arab, Islamic, Israeli conflict, Northern Confederation. But that's going to kind of dissipate in some regards because they're basically all defeated. And then it becomes the Antichrist and the rest of the world. And whatever remnants of that. Um, almost time to go to service. <laughs> <laughs> But anybody else have something quick? You just can't wait. You gotta have it. You gotta talk about it. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs>